Let's stand though and hear the word of God from Job 42, 1 through 6. Just going to read a small portion of of Job for now. Um, But this is the central part of the book of Job. This is the word of the Lord. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and have no and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? He's quoting God there. Job says, Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. And he quotes God again. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Job responds, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. There I, for I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, as we go to your word, especially a, a large portion of your word like this, we do pray that uh, we would uh, see uh, you at work uh, as our creator God. Um, help us to understand your purposes for us in life and help us especially understand our, our purposes in light of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the reason I'm bringing up the book of Job is several, several reasons. One is just because it's one of my favorite books, and one is because it's the most uh, misunderstood, one of the misunderstood scriptures, I think, in, in modern Christendom. Um, if, you, if you've never heard that part of Job before, it may kind of throw you. It threw me for the first time I, I saw it, because it doesn't make sense from what I used to know of Job, the book of Job. What I know is, like a lot of us from, from James chapter 1, uh, or James chapter 5, uh, he talks about the steadfastness of Job. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. What we typically know of Job is that Job was a man who went through horrible suffering, but was steadfast and didn't doubt God and just and came through on the other side and God rewarded him for that. But that's not really the story. The story of the steadfastness of Job isn't about Job not sinning, as most people think, because we're going to read this next passage here with the first part of Job. Job, Things happen to Job and he doesn't sin in, in his response to God. And then we see the reward at the end, thinking that's because he didn't sin. But we really begin, to, we really want to see that the reward is from him staying steadfast and trusting God, even though he does sin, even though there's cracks in his armor, even though he's got a bad theology. <coughs> Ultimately, he trusts in God through all of this, and God brings him back to repentance. And in that, we see the work of God as Job's savior and Redeemer, saving him from himself and his friends as he goes through these terrible situations. So let's look at that. I'm going to read um, Job 1 and 2. Um, I, this is the part I really can't just summarize. The rest of it is going to summarize. Because you really need to see this, this set the stage here about who Job is, what happens to him. And and because it's it's one of those things that we can't categorize in our minds. We can't understand, we can't grasp why this would happen to a righteous person. Um, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of questions that come up when we first read this 
first couple of chapters of Job, why would God even do these kind of things to a man who is righteous and upright? And these are the things that Job struggles with. And that's what the Bible wants us, and God wants us to, to do, is to enter into to, alongside of Job as he goes through this to, 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 to see in our, our own lives how we question God. Because we say often, I love to quote, for example, uh, Romans 8, did earlier. Romans 8, 28. We know for, and that God causes all things to work together for good who love him and are called according to his purposes. And so we know that, that God's ultimately in control. But then things happen in our lives that we just can't make sense of. A loved one dying unexpectedly. That's happened to so many people with COVID. This thing came out of the blue. How do we understand this? Where there's, there's people dying all over the world. There's a huge, huge amount of suffering and death. How do we categorize that? How do we respond to other people when they ask those questions? I ran across a guy at work um, who's probably in his late 30s, I think. Uh, it's hard to tell because he's a bit of a wreck. Um, he, uh, he walks with a, a severe limp. He's got a shriveled arm. And uh, I didn't really want to pry, but at one point in our conversations, he, he told me what had happened. If I can remember even some of the details, but something happened when he was about, I think, 11 years old. I think he had a stroke. And they, they had heart problems and, and, and brain problems. And he's gone through, I, I want to say something like 25 or 30 surgeries in his life. And he still has more to go. And, and how do you explain that? How do you explain, how do you categorize that kind of thing? And he's, he's, he's Christian by all, all, all rights, yet... Yet, he still is going through these things. We have people close to us, like I said, have lost friends, lost loved ones. And, and how do you make, make sense of those things when you're not prepared for it? Well, that's what Job goes through. And what we're going to see is, is Job doesn't get all the answers he wants, but he ultimately learns to trust in God. So let's read through these first two, ch- two chapters. I'm going to read through um, the NIV. I'm going to make a couple of comments as we go through here and then, and then go into the kind of the meat of, of Job. Job is both narrative and poetry. The first part and the last part are narrative. Uh, the, the whole most of it is, is poetry. It's classified as a wisdom literature, but it's got, got so much going on. Um, it really is the wisdom of God. Um, let's, let's look at Job 1 and 2. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. Uz is, by the way, uh, somewhere near where uh, Abraham was, was ultimately was raised. Uh, it's in the far east from, from, from uh, the land of Judah in, in Israel. It's to the east, Mesopotamia, that area. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He li- feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep. 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Just a quick aside from what we know later in Job, Job was not a nomad. He lived in a city. He was an elder of the city, sat at the gates and gave out wisdom. Um, he was well known throughout the land. In fact, his, business, his businesses and his business practices um, really affected almost everybody. He was... He was I don't know if we have a, a, a modern version of that. Um, he was a, a, um, a, a Steve Jobs, whose who, who's computers have, have a, a, made an impact on, on everybody in the world. Anybody that uses an Apple or, or an iPhone, Apple computer, an iPhone, 
changed the world of iPhones, for example. I mean, he's that kind of a, of a man. He was that important to this area. He, uh, verse 4, his sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. It's not always a great man. He was a, he was a priest. He was a priest for his family. He interceded on their behalf. He wasn't just content with being righteous in the, in the things he did and the way he treated people. He went above and beyond offering of his own self, his own wealth, um, uh, uh, offerings to God and to, to hopefully cover up the sins of his, his children. He interceded for them. He didn't think that he would just be buying God's forgiveness. He literally interceded for them. We'll see that at the end uh, as well. Now, verse 6, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Now, this one I can't fully explain for you. All we know from this is that Satan still has access to God. Probably he's still accountable. I mean, he's, God still holds him accountable for the things he does. We, we, this is something that just doesn't come up the rest of Scripture. Can't really explain it, but we just have to assume that this is true, that 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 even in the midst of the angels praising God, Satan has allowed a presence. Uh, the one who was cast down to the earth and, and, and sent out away from the presence of God still is allowed to come and, and stand before God. And the Lord said to Satan, verse 7, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. it that, by the way, is a bit of irony and understatement. Um, from where we know Satan, he's creating havoc everywhere he goes. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, who man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands, so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Satan knows the heart of man. He knows that when things are good, humans are good. They, they, they well, um, they can act good when things are good. But when things are going bad, that's when human nature really comes out, the anger, the bitterness. And so he's banking on that. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at their older brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. 
So right there, Job sees his wealth just evaporate in an instant, in his own mind. We don't know how long this took, but that this was just in Job's in Job's experience, this happened immediately. All this is just gone. Everything he he had in life is gone, except his kids. But while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the eldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked came, from, uh, came I from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Wow. Job is a great man. So what, can you even imagine? I mean, think of the tragedy that's happened to you. Is your first response... Well, Job's first response would be like ours, grief. But then is your next response to praise God and to thank Him? So yes, Job is a great man. And he does not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Interesting here is this is this phrase here, he does not charge with God with wrong. It's kind of previewing what is to come because he's very specific. He says he doesn't he doesn't sin against God. It's very specific. He doesn't charge God with wrongdoing. You know, he doesn't blame God for this. But then we continue. The story goes on. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Jacob? There was no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But now, stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your, maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. In the English Standard Version, where the literal translation says, In all these things he did not sin with his lips. Again, Kind of setting us up here. That Job maintained his integrity, yes. His, his words, his responses were upright, were, 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 were faithful to God. And even, by the way, we can see that in his response to his wife. He, he rebukes his wife, but he doesn't rebuke her in a way we might think he is. He's really counseling her. He, he, he tells her that she's acting like an unbeliever, basically. He said he's not just he's not denigrating women. In fact, the, the we're, we're going to find out that the men in this story are far worse than than her response. But he brings out to her point that 
that as believers, we're not those to curse God. In other words, you're, you're talking like a, a foolish one. A fool was someone who did not believe in God. A fool who, in his heart, says there is no God, we see in the, in the book of Proverbs. And that's what he means by a foolish woman. We've got to keep things in context, He's in the sense he's saying. God is, you don't, we don't curse God because of things that happen to us. So in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And then when, then we come on this, then comes on the scene Job's three friends. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, and Zophar. They heard about the troubles that had come upon him. They set up from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from the distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud. They tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. All right. At this point, we're going to kind of go a little faster through the passage, but just a, a, a few things here. Satan is real and evil is real. By the way, when Job says the word evil coming from God, he's not talking about evil as is in Satan. He, he really means disaster. That word is kind of used in two ways uh, throughout the, this book of Job. Um, does, evil comes from, from Satan, but the evil that Job is talking about coming from God is just the, basically a word for disasters. Do we do not, should we not accept disaster from God? We see that the world really is in control of the evil one. Calamity um, happens to us uh, by the hand of Satan, but for God's people, it doesn't happen without God's letting it happen. Again, these are questions we're not going to be able to answer as to why that God does this. Other than we're going to see that God, God has his purposes. We may not see him. Job never sees God's purposes. He never understands what happens to him. But he still learns to trust in God. But the first thing we see after this is a crack in Job's armor. Uh, next page on your, your outline is Job. Job's first error is an error of the mind. The first thing wasn't the, the sin wasn't his lips. He was fine with what he said, but then he starts thinking about it. This is what our problem is. Too often we start thinking about things and we try to rationalize them. But Job's first response really is out of pain. His first response is is. As his friends are sitting there waiting for him to speak, the custom was you would always let the, the person that was grieving speak, and they sat there for a long time, seven days. Finally, when Joe speaks, he does something interesting. I think it's something that we, we all kind of do. When something bad happens to us, we lose a job, or, or something else happens, we think the rest of our life is meaningless. The life that's come before us is meaningless. And that's what he does. He says... Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, May the day of my birth perish, and the night that said, A boy is conceived. That day, may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine upon it. He's saying his life is meaningless, but that all of life is meaningless. That everything, he doesn't realize what he's saying, but everything God has done up to this point is for naught. 
he basically throws it all away. And that's what we tend to do. We tend to throw everything away. We, we, we tend to focus on where we are right now and forget that God has brought us to this very place for, for, for a reason. We may not understand the reason. Job didn't understand the reason. But his, his Job, Job, Job's Job, Job's Job, was, <laughs> sorry, was, was not to make light of the rest of his life. God had a purpose. And what we see is that God's purpose was to show that even though someone has everything in the world and loses it, they can stay true to God. That their life isn't wrapped up in, in their wealth. But Job, for a moment there, saw his life as wrapped up in them. So, Job's first response was, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. The second response was, shall we accept good from God and not evil? But his third response in great grief is he regrets even being born. Don't you ever feel that way? Boy, if I hadn't been born, everybody would be so much better off. Or if this hadn't happened to me, I would be so much better off. And Job starts falling into that trap. Now, Job's friends start speaking. And, and now, Job is confronted with bad theology. Job's friends, I'm going to have to kind of just summarize this, but Job 4, 7 and 9, uh, his, uh, one of his friends, the first friend, uh, speaks up, and this is basically the theme of the whole uh, rest of this. It's called, we call it prosperity theology. It's the idea that bad things only happen to bad people, Good things happen to good people, and if bad things are happening to you, you must have done something wrong. And that's what he says. Consider now, who being innocent has ever perished? This is Job 4. Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. At the breath of God they perish, and the blast of his anger they are no more. Later in Job, they develop this and become specific <laughs> accusations against Job. I don't have didn't room to put this in, but in Job 22... They actually begin to accuse Job. They, they come up with certain things. They've looked at his life and, and picked out little things and said, oh, these are the reasons God is doing this to you. And they accuse him of things like, like not taking care of widows, um, not taking care of the poor, withholding water from people who need it, withholding food from people who need it. And my guess is what they've done is they've looked at life around them. They've looked at this, this community. They're poor in the community as there are always poor in every community. God said the poor will always be among you. And they accused Job of not doing enough to take care of the poor and those who are without. Here is this rich man who Job will later say that he's, he's innocent in all this and, and with the inference that he has done those things. He has taken care of the poor. He has taken care of those in need. But he just was not able to take care of everybody in the whole community. It, what, that was beyond his, his, his purview, his, his purpose. He, he did what he could. But these guys are still going to point out something. There's something wrong with, with Job. He must have done something wrong. And it's really easy to nitpick um, when in, and to, to look from um, uh, our perspective against someone else and say they must have done something wrong. Job's response, though, is... is, is He, he protect, Job um, protests their understanding of him, and he maintains his innocence. But when he does it, he makes the same mistake. 
Here's the next error that he makes. The first one is regretting the day he died. The second one is saying that God made a mistake. And what his theology is the same. Someone does good, they're rewarded. Job did good, he was rewarded. Someone does bad, they are punished. Looking at that, Job said, I did nothing wrong. Something bad happened to me. God made a mistake. And, and so, so he says, and this, this Job 13, um, this passage again, this kind of sums up a lot of the rest of Job. This kind of develops this more and more as he goes on. And he, and he sets this in, the, in, in a, the framework of a court case. He's calling basically the judge of the earth to come and stand before him, and Job will present his case. He'll give him all the evidence and show that a mistake was made. Oh, there's a there's a Disney Channel or Disney Plus uh, 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 show I just saw recently, a little movie something something it was a kid's thing something mistakes were made was the the tagline about this little kid he makes all these different mistakes kind of the idea mistakes were made and I'm going to prove it to you Job 13 18 to 24 now that I've prepared my case he's he's this he's talked to his friends and told him told them where he was not in the wrong. And so he says, now that I've prepared my case, I know I'll be vindicated. Can anyone bring charges against me? If so, I will be silent and die. Only grant me these two things, God, and, and then I will not hide from you. Withdraw your hand from me and stop frightening me with your terrors. Then summon me and I will answer, or let me speak and you reply to me. How many wrongs and sins have I committed? Show me my offense and my sin. Why do you hide me? Hide your face and consider me your enemy? And we see what's happening with Job. His, his mind is, is just too wrapped up in this, and he's trying to make too much sense of this. And as he does, he, he, he thinks he's got it figured out. God made a mistake. God, he calls God to, to account to, to, so he can plead his case. God does not. God doesn't respond. God doesn't show up. God does, doesn't seem to hear him. And so he begins to see God as his enemy. God must not like me. God must have something against me. And the, the reason I bring up this, this passage is because there's so many people that we, we encounter in life that this is their view of God. The, the, their view of God is because bad things have happened to me and I'm a good person, God must not like me. God must hate me. I'm his enemy. God, there's no reason for God doing this. And so they get angry with him. And... I just, I don't know, I, I, I bring this up because this is, this is real life. And how do we respond to these things? Well, first of all, we understand bad theology and rebuke isn't, isn't helpful. First thing we understand is that make sure that we, when we speak, we speak from God's Word. We speak from Scripture. We speak from, from knowledge. Job's friends don't. They speak, they speak from what they think is right. And, and it wasn't helpful. Job 13, Job responds to them. He says, You smear with me with lies. You are worthless physicians, all of you. If only you would be sound, altogether silent. For you, that would be wisdom. In Job 16, he says, I've heard many things like this. You are miserable comforters, all of you. Bad theology, bad theology is bad counsel. When we're counseling other people, sometimes it's best not to say something than to say something wrong. 
sometimes when people are grieving, the best thing you can do is just come alongside of them and, 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 and be with them. Sometimes they're not looking for an explanation. I think that's kind of one of Job's problems. His friends start pointing out, well, you did this wrong, and you did this wrong. You must have done something wrong here. It's kind of similar, but I heard recently, um, uh, well, a close friend of mine died, and uh, his family um, was struggling with these, this very thing. He died unexpectedly from, from COVID. And, and the family's response, they were Christians, but the response was, was unsettling, to say the least. Um, there were two main responses, basically Job's and his friend's responses. Um, it was, you know, why, why did this happen? But it was more of, why did God do this? There, that, that God must have made a mistake. And they were angry with God, literally, angry with God, because he did this. They're questioning his his goodness. They they said things like, like the friends will say, that, well, and that is said later on. Um, they, as they they question Job. In fact, in, in chapter twenty four, questions God's um, goodness, God's justice. The, these people, these friends, were saying, why is it? Why was it? my father or my husband that died. There's so many people out there that do bad things. Why didn't God take them instead of him? So they're calling into question God's justice. And that's what happens towards the later part of, of Job's speeches. He begins to question God's justice. He says, uh, chapter 24, Why does the Almighty not set times for judgment? Why must those who know him look in vain for such days? The groans of the dying rise from the city, and the souls of the wounded cry out for help, but God charges no one with wrongdoing. In other words, he doesn't punish them, he, he punishes me instead of them. But I'm, I'm kind of, oh yeah, I'm, I want to say one other thing about the, the, the bad counsel. Um, as it turns out, the, the, the counsel that these friends of ours were getting was from their church. I don't know if that was something that that came from them, from the church, of the idea of, you know, God should have been punishing other people. Um, but that was kind of some of the basic theology that they've kind of lived with throughout the years, that you know, God only punishes evil people, uh, so he should be punishing evil people. But the, the one thing that was probably most unsettling was they said, the only thing that's getting us through this, the, 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 the loss of father, the son, or the, the father, the, the, the husband, was that, and, and this is close to the, to the funeral, they said, that's not really Job there. I'm sorry, that's not really, that's not Job. we'll call him Job for now. That's not really him in the mortuary. That's not really him. That's the one thing that's getting us through. He's, he's with the Lord. That's not him. And we were Taken aback, what we first thought was something I had heard when I was at Westminster Seminary, and it was very helpful at the time. One of our professors said to me, let me say, I don't know why he'd said it to me, but he says, don't ever, oh, because I was doing a funeral, that's what he says, don't ever let anybody tell you that when you're doing a funeral that that's not that person there. He said, that is that person there. He says, our hope is in the resurrection of that body. That's not just a shell. That's not a facade. 
That's not unreal. That's that person. They need to grieve. They need to learn to grieve, to, to struggle with that. Because we need to be confronted with death and the fact that we need a Savior, a Redeemer. We need a one who's going to recreate, who's going to raise us from the dead. Because that's, that's not the person. Why do we even need the resurrection? Why are we even here? And that's where our first response was, but, but Janice and I were both there, and we both resisted that urge, and probably the best thing we did was not respond at that point. Not try to challenge their theology. Just let them process through it. And when we got to the funeral, we, we, we were thinking, they, they must have come from somewhere. We got to the funeral, and those are the most exact words their pastor said at the, at the funeral. What is he the funeral was funny. It was, I mean, it was it wasn't so a joke. It was, it was, you know, a lot of fun stories about our our friend, and but there was very little grieving, or no, no, actually no grief. And he said at one point, he says, "Ah, oh, that's not really him there." Pointing to the the casket, that's not really him there. He's in heaven with the Lord. But it was so sad and so heartbreaking, is that when they brought the casket forward. And then later, when they went to put flowers on the coffin, if you wanted to, according to this pastor, it's not really him, but if you feel you feel better about doing this. But you could see in in the wife, especially, but also the the kids. They knew that he was there. That was him. That didn't make them feel better. Bad theology doesn't help the problem. Doesn't make you feel better. So that's what we have to be certain of our theology. We have to be understanding of, I mean, certain of our understanding of who God is and what he's done. What's odd about Job is that Job never understands. We're kind of we're going to race towards the end here. Because when God reveals himself to Job, he gives Job an answer. It's not the answer that Job is looking for. Job's trying to make sense of all this. And basically, in the last four chapters of Job, um, what he does is um, he doesn't answer. He just points out to Job who he is. Now we don't have time to go through this, but but right, right before, uh, in, well, sorry, Job thirty-eight, thirty-nine, forty, and forty-one is where where God appears to Job and and answers Job. And he does it in a couple of ways that are uh, amazing. He confronts Job with who God is, not what he's done. And um, I'm, just for the sake of time, I'm going to have to just wrap this up. But look at uh, Job 38.1. God, down where it says God's response. Uh, Job and his friends speak from ignorance, presumption, and misinterpretation. They've, what they've done is they've taken a look at the world. They've assumed that they understand how God works, but they've been wrong. And God doesn't, un- doesn't explain why he's working Job's case. What he does is this. He calls Job to account. He, asks, he, says, he says this. Um, he spoke to Job out of a, a storm. He comes in a big um, a, a windstorm. And he said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? And he's talking not just to, to Job, but he's talking about him and his friends. What they've done is they've obscured God's wisdom by talking without knowing what they're talking about. They're, be- they're better off not saying anything and just trusting God. But he says, brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Or where was its footing set? Who laid its foundations or cornerstone? 
And, and he goes on and talks about creation in so many parts of creation. He talks about horses and he talks about, about all, uh, different animals. And he talks about all these things in the world. And he basically asked Job, if you could exp- can explain this, then I will answer you and explain how, why I did this to you. But, but God points out that we just don't know and it's not our place to know. The second thing is, Job at that point says, oh, uh, I really shouldn't have talked. I shouldn't have said anything. Um, in, in Job 40, verse 2, Job answered the Lord. He says, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I say no more. You would think that that's good enough for God. That that's what God was looking for. Job shouldn't have said anything. But that's not what God's looking for from us. He's not looking for just an agreement with God that, that we shouldn't have said something. What's he looking for? Well, it turns out he's looking for repentance. And that's where our passage that we first read really ties it all together. That's the high point of, this, of Job. The high point of Job is in the end where God restores everything he had before and, and doubles basically everything he had before and gives him three more uh, daughters and gives him, uh, gives him seven more sons. The high point is Job's repentance. Because God goes on after Job says, I shouldn't have talked, and he goes on and addresses not just God's goodness in, 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 in the, creating the world, but he, 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 God stands up for his own justice. And that, that how he dispenses justice is up to him. And he does it through a series of things. We don't have time to really develop it. I'd love for you to read it sometime. But then he says this. Do you have, to Job, do you have an arm like God's? Can your voice thunder like him? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor. Clothe yourself with honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them and crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them all in the dust and shroud their faces in the grave. Then I will self will admit that your own right hand can save you. <laughs> and that's where Job finally responds. The thing we read earlier. And he says, he says, he answered the Lord, chapter 42 and said, I know you can do all things, no purpose of yours can be thwarted. He says at the end, I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. That is the story. <coughs> that is the true story of Job. Now, something I had skipped over in all of this, and, and I will close with this, in Job's in Job's insanity, he says something very sane. In his, and he's making a defense of himself, and he says, there's a third party out there that understands me. There's someone who has the ear of the Lord that understands me. He knows that I'm wrong, and he's going to be my advocate. And he says... And it's the middle of your, your outline on the second page. In the midst of pain, doubt, and personal attacks, Job ultimately trusts in God. He, he says this. He, 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 he basically saying, I, I, I would record this for all posterity. This is, my, this is my truth. He says, Oh, that my words were recorded. They were written on a scroll. They were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, is destroyed yet I, my flesh, I will see God. I will, myself will see him with my own eyes. I am not another. How my heart yearns within me. 
Job's heart was still for the Lord, even though in his mistakes, in his errors of theology, in his pain and his suffering, Job still yearned for God, and he knew that there was someone who would justify him before God. Job understands at the end that it isn't his righteousness that is saving him. And in his, in, in his insanity, he makes the statement that there's someone who's going to be a redeemer. He doesn't understand at that point that there is someone who needs redeeming from himself. And that's what he understands at the end. He repents. He understands his sin. God restores him. God has him pray for his friends. He, he, he becomes this priest again, not just for his wife, but for his friends. Intercedes for them. And God restores him. But the, the, the message of this is that Job, there's no one is 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 that perfect that they can stand on their own. Everyone is in need of a redeemer. Even the, the greatest man, the, the, the best man who ever lived, is still in need of a redeemer. If the best man that ever lived is in need of a redeemer, so certainly are we. And those of us who have seen our Redeemer, who have, have seen Him in Scripture, who have seen His work in our lives, we of all people need to understand that we cannot always make sense of life, of the things that happen to us, the things that happen to others, but we have a trust in God that, that He will bring, make all things right. And sometimes that's the only answer we have for people, that God will make all things right. We just need to trust in Him and look to His goodness and look to his mercy, and look to the things that we've done wrong ourselves, repent for those, repent for our lack of trust in God, and look to him to carry us through no matter what happens to us. Let's pray. Lord God, we admit in our sins moments, uh, we don't understand everything that happens to us by your hand, but if we did, that would make us like you. Um, you are so far above us uh, your, your, your workings are so great you're, you're the creator of all things there's no way we can understand what you're doing in our lives because we could uh, we would have to be you help us to be a people that understand that as Joe began to understand that that, that that life isn't always understood, it's not meant to be understood, but we're to trust you that whatever is happening to us, you're doing it for our good and for your purposes. That someday we might see, um, that might make sense of all this. We may see fully, as Paul says, we, we may see in part, but we'll ultimately see in, uh, see in full, and we'll know in full. We might have a glimpse of why you did these things in life and, and, and why you allowed things to happen to us. But until, Lord, we, we pray that you would allow us to trust in you, to see from your word who you really are, what you've done for, for the world in Jesus Christ. And may we have in our moments of, of despair the same yearning for you that Job had that ultimately brought him back to you, allowed him to listen to you and, and realize his folly. And may you continue to use us uh, as faithful counselors, as good counselors uh, of those who are going through difficult times and pain and suffering. And that we would not bring our own thoughts and own um, uh, feelings into it, but bring you in, in your word, your comfort, and ultimately bring Christ in uh, to the situation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.